The grand plan for rebuilding the centre of Christchurch is now being put into practice. The demolition work is getting closer to an end, and the first design contracts have been awarded. But as the initial enthusiasm for the concept's what it was, and as the voice of the people of Christchurch still being heard. The blueprint identifies a number of key projects that will catalyse development, provide certainty, clarity and inspire confidence. Just over six months ago, after 100 days of planning, this new vision for developing the central business district of Christchurch was revealed. The document speaks of a greener, more accessible city, with a compact core developed within a defining so-called green frame. The blueprint for the recovery plan sets out the location of key anchor projects. They include a park along the banks of the River Avon, sites for a new convention centre, stadium and multi-sports facility, as well as precincts housing health, justice and emergency services and performing arts. I'm Philippa Tolley and I've been speaking to those in Christchurch driving the rebuild, some of those affected by the plans and others who hope to take part in developing the new heart of the city to gauge how they all feel about the process. The Central Christchurch Recovery Plan asserts that international experience shows successful recovery from a natural disaster is heavily dependent on substantial redevelopment beginning within three years. It says speed is of the essence. Max Bremner is a developer who's involved in the hospitality industry and he's keen to get one of the city's entertainment areas, Seoul Square, up and running again. From outside the wire fence closest to the site where buildings are being demolished, he spoke about the area he wants to bring back to life. It was a collection of shops, older type buildings around the corner of Manchester and Chilm. You can't really see too much, but it's the heart of Seoul Square, which is basically all still standing. And so for people who don't know Christchurch, what was Seoul Square? Seoul Square was a collection of restaurants and bars. and It was an entertainment precinct. And it was developed out of old warehouses and offices. And it was, it was incorporating the lanes, which they, the council wants to reintroduce into Christchurch. The area still has more buildings to come down, unresolved insurance claims, and the original development had gone into receivership, leaving a tangle of paperwork to get through. But hey, I'm sure in a year's time or two years' time we would have sorted all those problems. But you know, this is a this is a, this is a great example of something in Christchurch that could be saved. It could be operational sooner, more sooner than later. But because of the, the problems and the bureaucracy, then it might sit for another two or three years. But Max Bremner is broadly supportive of the way the plans for the central city area are being developed and the role taken by the government and the earthquake recovery minister Jerry Brownlee. You need to be slightly dictatorial when it comes to rebuilding a city like this. I know that Jerry Brownlee's cops and flack, but that's the only way to do it. I think they're doing things the best they possibly can. There is, I've heard of frustration, and you know, there's a lot of been moaning in the past, but you can only do what you can do. And one of the city's financiers, Tim Howe, from the boutique merchant bank Ocean Partners, says a blueprint has helped give investors a more concrete idea of the city in the future. I think the 100-day blueprint put some clarity around where the city will be. It restricted the redevelopment activity to a smaller area than previously had been uh, used in the central city. Uh, it, land banks in an area of land within the frame that will ensure that there is opportunity for growth but also restricts fragmented redevelopment. And what it's done is it's isolated the location um, very clearly for the central uh, the redevelopment, including uh, the convention centre. 
also the commercial retail precinct. Uh, the location of the Justice Precinct has also identified where obviously a lot of lawyers, bankers and financiers will want to be. The Chief Executive of the Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce, Peter Townsend, believes there's still support for that new vision of the city, but the way forward is unclear. We've got to have central government, local government and the community all working towards common objectives. They must be working towards the same plan. We must be agreeing on our priorities and we must be agreeing on the overall strategy. I think there's a gap in that context at the moment because although we've got a plan, we haven't actually got a strategy. We don't actually know, the general public at least don't know, exactly what the priorities are, exactly what the cost benefit will be of the various precincts that are going to be developed, exactly how that fits together as we go forward. Are we going to live in part of a damaged city while the other part of it is rebuilt or are we going to be really clever and build our precincts out from nuclei uh, so that we don't have to see the damaged city as we occupy the precincts? Those sorts of issues are really critical. But Tim Howe says he discovered some very important lessons during a visit to San Francisco with the City Council to find out how it recovered from the devastation caused by earthquakes. While the public needed to be consulted and have a say in the matter, um, an, economic and a decision, well, an economic decision or a decision to rebuild in a city fundamentally comes from those who will be submitting the equity. So at that point in time, one must be mindful of the, uh, the feedback that comes in and one must build a city that people will want to come to, but one must also be cognizant of the fact that equity can be placed in Christchurch or it can be placed anywhere else. And to draw it into Christchurch, you've got to give some flexibility and freedom to those who are investing. So I guess it's a fine balance between having input and listening versus having a higher degree or too much control from those who aren't actually funding. The chief executive of the government-created Christchurch Earthquake Recovery Authority, Roger Sutton, acknowledges that it's difficult to find the right pace for the development. One of the hardest things I've got to do is try and manage people's expectations about people wanting everything done tomorrow and doing something properly so we've really got something which really stands the test of time. Sure, people may want things fast and our decisions made quickly, and I've got to pass those sort of six-month year tests about how I'm doing, but there are also tests about whether what the city looks like in 10, 20, 100 years' time. And this is our opportunity to do it really well. And that's one of my hardest things, is taking other leaders and the wider public with us, that it's worth taking some more time doing it properly. But those in charge also want to keep the people of Christchurch with them. And the Mayor, Bob Parker, is aware that many residents feel they've been disenfranchised from the whole process. There is a sense of that, and I, I, and I think it's true to some degree. I'd have to say that the Central City Development Unit plan captured and drew on all of the themes that we as a community had laid down, but I think that it's also laced with a strong dose of medicine from the business and development community who quite rightly say for us to survive in this climate there are certain things that we are going to need. We need a machine that will drive the tourism and accommodation industry and that is the convention centre. Now, we as a community put a more modest proposal forward and the CCDU uh, came back with a much grander proposal. And so for us as a community, the inevitable pressures are going to be around how we're going to actually afford this and how do we keep it in the future because the operating costs of these things will be big. While Peter Townsend readily acknowledges there's no time to constantly relitigate matters, he would like to see a strong advisory panel in place as final decisions are made about designs and costs. 
With the rebuild being overseen by the Christchurch Recovery Authority, he wants to ensure the voice of Christchurch isn't lost. I think there's some good things going on, but I think there's room for improvement, as the report card would say. Um, I, I, I'm not sure yet that we've got central government and local government exactly on the same page, and that's particularly interesting when it comes to who's going to finance some of this rebuild of our central city. And I'm not sure that we've got appropriate involvement from the community, across the community, not just the business community, but right across the community in terms of having key influencers, having a, a, a really real advisory function with respect to central government and local government in determining the priorities and needs of the future of the central city. Māori interests are being carefully monitored by the South Island iwi Naitahu. The kai Whakahaere, or chairman of Te Runanga o Naitahu, Sir Mark Solomon, was pleased with the level of attention given to ideas from local people. We have probably had the best level of consultation, both from CERA, um, the Christchurch City Development Unit, and the Christchurch City Council, that we've ever had. Um, not only did they consult heavily with the the corporate, but they also went out into our communities. What has resulted is a greater recognition of the Māori history in Christchurch. From a personal level, I think it's all of our responsibility to protect um, and show the heritage of our nation, um, and the Māori culture is part of that heritage. So we would like to see some of our places back on the map to, for what they were used for by our people before the coming of the European. But it's just as important that our European heritage is also shown. And we today really, we're not a bicultural country, we're a multicultural now. So we've also got to look at the other cultures that are living amongst us as part of our community now. That acknowledgement could come in the form of a possible cultural centre in the green frame near the River Avon, signs also in Tereo, and sites of significance marked out. Sir Mark says Naitahu communities have particular thoughts about the River Avon or Otakaro. One of the main themes that came through Naitahu, they wanted to see the river systems used uh, for plantings. I mean, our ultimate dream, we'd like to see the Avon from Hagley Park to the sea replanted in natives with walkways, cycleways, cafes, um, not opposed to the exotics, love Hagley Park with all its exotics, but let's show the incoming tourists um, a slice of true New Zealand along the river systems. But properly use the river, make it a focal point. Um, our people were very big on pushing that we would like to see a lot more green technology. We'd like to see the roofs used for the gathering of, of rainwater, for the using in your toilet, the more use of solar power, anything we could do to improve our environmental footprint as a city. But disquiet about how much local voices are being listened to remains. After spending a month in Christchurch helping as part of a design summer school, an associate professor of urban design at Unitech in Auckland, Dushko Boganovich, believes many people feel there is too much focus on the CBD. The focus on the five or six big projects is a bit exaggerated and, and kind of unrealistic. So there's a lot of people who just don't believe that the convention centre and the stadium and a few other big projects will really help Christchurch take off. He says the blueprint has good potential for excellent urban design, but it could still go wrong if there's not enough scrutiny. What is needed to make it really successful is to get the best expertise in New Zealand and overseas. I still 
don't see much involvement from good or, or uh, well-known, recognized, acknowledged architects and planners from around the world. I, I think we could tap into the global expertise a little better. And also, I'm not quite sure that all things are kind of uh, managed in a fully transparent manner and that the key decisions about the actual urban design will be made in a kind of democratic and, and professionally open way. Dushko Boganovic says he understands many people feel bitter and disempowered by the current system overseen by Sarah, but he also understands the need for matters to be dealt with quickly and in an efficient and pragmatic manner. The chief executive of the Earthquake Authority, Roger Sutton, says the urgent pace of planning has been essential, but at the same time is convinced people's thoughts about their city have been included. You can't have an event of this scale without some people, without lots of people being disaffected. But, you know, I'm still, in the, I'm still strongly the view the majority of people are really happy with the direction and how it's going and their ability to actually have an input into it. But, look, this is a massive event. You know, we're sitting here in the middle of Christchurch and we're surrounded by buildings that are, in, you know, in many cases going to need extensive refurbishment. That's if they're not coming down. You know, you just can't get away from it. It's a massive, massive event. I think some people have also forgotten if the government had sat back and said, look, off you go, Christchurch, go rebuild yourself. What would be happening right now? How much money would be coming in? You know, the government is being pretty gutsy in the amount of amount of money and effort it's putting into this. And if we'd sat back, it'd be much, much harder to have the commercial heart, the centre part of Christchurch, to come back as strongly as I'm confident it's going to come back. The contract to design the Avon River precinct is one of the first to be awarded. Sitting by the river, not far from where demolition work was going on in the square, the director of the Christchurch Central Development Unit, Warwick Isaacs, describes what's envisaged for the area under development. We want very, very nice cycleway through the central city as well as improved amenity for pedestrians. So it's probable that the bank we're sitting on now, which is the, the bank closest to the city, might have more of an urban sort of form, particularly along where the old strip was and adjacent to buildings, where people can get right down into the river without having to sort of fall in to get wet. You might be able to dabble your toes um, off, off some pavers and that sort of thing. For some building owners, the reshaping of the city and the selection of sites for major structures such as the stadium threaten buildings that survived the earthquakes. It was built in about 1900 for a minister, I think he was in the Liberal government, he built it as warehousing, which was most of what used to be around this area, warehousing for for the railway line, which had just been put in by that stage, while well, it had been in for a while, since 1860. So there were warehouses all the way down Madras Street. Roland Logan believes the Ing building is the only example of this type of warehouse now standing in the entire central area. The building is all but fully occupied with a clothing store and gallery spaces and offices that are now home to designers and architects. But like elsewhere in the city, it's insured for fire and other damage, but not earthquakes. Although it survived and been put to active use, Warwick Isaacs says with many insurance issues still to be resolved, some owners have decided it's best, or at least easier, to start from scratch. Not, not all issues are resolved yet, it's fair to say, and... and some of that is around some owners, for example, have three years business interruption insurance and so they are quite relaxed about taking some time because their financial position is covered by, by the insurance policies they took out prior to the earthquakes. But there aren't many like that. Most, most people had around two years and so now they're moving quite quickly to try and resolve the ongoing situation. It's about if a building is repaired, 
what level of, of the new building standard is it and is that appropriate and is it what the owner wants and can they attract tenants or is it better to actually face the reality that, that a building couldn't be repaired to an appropriate standard therefore maybe it is better for the owner to, to apply the insurance proceeds to a, to a demolition and a new rebuild. Despite what initially seemed like a grim prognosis, Roland Logan says there is a possibility the building could still have a future. But for him, the logic of putting a stadium in the area remains a mystery. At this stage, Sarah are looking at accommodating this building into the stadium design, so I don't think this building is under threat to the extent that it was when the plan first came out. But why a stadium here? I have no idea. It is not close to any major uh, road linkages. It's not close to the railway linkages. It doesn't have very good public parking around here. Is that a positive side, that they've been able to accommodate things a little bit when you've gone and had discussions? Well, I think they are saying that verbally, not in writing, but they're saying that verbally to quite a lot of people, especially either people like myself who have heritage building and are making a lot of noise about it, and the heritage movement that are in Christchurch who are also supporting people like myself making a lot of noise about it, or they are large landowners with some money behind them, i.e. some of the car sale yards or some of the bigger block owners, they are trying to accommodate those types of people. People with smaller land holdings and who don't have so much power as such, they are being pretty much steamrolled, I would say. Under the powers flowing from the special earthquake legislation, the Central Development Unit can compulsorily acquire properties on land selected as a site for big projects, such as a green frame or the last big structure on the list, the stadium. The tendering and approval process for those major endeavours is also different to the norm, as Warwick Isaacs explains. Uh, generally, at this stage, River Precinct it will go back to the City Council, to the councillors ultimately, once the, the, the concept has been completed, back to Cabinet as well. On the way through, we're also talking to Naitahu. And if there's other stakeholder groups, like public art groups, so we're having discussions with those sort of people, but, but not the wider public at this stage. Has that raised any qualms about transparency? Has it, well, I'm not aware of it raising too many qualms at this stage, with some people, of course. Our view of it is simply that we've taken all the ideas and the, the consultation the City Council did with share an idea, so that, that's how we see it at this stage. Where do you come up with that balance between needs must for Christchurch because of the devastation that was here, but also making sure that all the appropriate checks and balances are still in place? Part of the process for us and, and part of finding that balance in line is in our communication strategies, do we want further consultation or is it about public education or is it in fact doing a block of the river precinct and saying well this is what it's going to be like and then allowing for some feedback from people. So we haven't finalised exactly once we go from concept into fully design and then construction, how do we involve the public moving our way through that. But we're very, very mindful that that's an important thing. But Roland Logan is cynical about the control even the earthquake authority has over how development will progress. I would have confidence if the chief executive and the people that are high up in Sarah were actually managing and running what their department is all about, like, like they should be in most government departments. But this is, this is all coming out of Wellington and it's all a political decision making. There are continuing worries about whether too much focus is being brought to bear on the central area while people are still trying two years on to get their homes and lives back together.
Sir Mark Solomon is full of praise for the rebuild process in general, but he has doubts about whether the right balance is being achieved. While there's a lot of focus on the CDB and it's important that we do get the CDB up and running, there's seven to 8,000 homes damaged out there. Um, and it's seen at times, if you're living in those regions that have been badly affected, it's almost like they've been forgotten. I constantly get uh, told from people, we're on our 18th visit and still no decision has been made. Um, so I've got a bit of sympathy for those people. It's two years and they're still waiting. That sentiment is echoed by Peter Townsend from the Chamber of Commerce. There is a perception that we're losing ground. There is a perception we're starting to get bogged down. And I think we just have to make sure that we can agree on what our priorities are. That has to be done in concert with helping those people who are still seriously advantaged in residence in our city, who still have sewage coming up their bath plugs. I mean, we've got to stop that. The type of project aimed at building a sense of excitement in the community is an upgrade of the Cricket Oval in South Hagley Park to international test level. But that has brought strong local opposition. Cricket's been played here for well over 100 years and there's been the two established clubs on the park, which are St Albans and Rickerton, have been here well over 100 years and would like to stay. Martin Meehan speaks for Save Hagley Park, a group opposed to the upgrade and the move away from a venue primarily for local players. For instance, before this upgrade we had four wickets on here and that gave 88 players cricket every weekend. We now have one wicket block in the middle, which is 22 players, and if you're talking international and provincial to a large extent, they're imported players playing on Hagley Park. The sign is up as you turn to drive into South Hagley Park, a resource consent application from the Christchurch City Council. It says an application seeks to establish a pavilion, embankment, lighting and associated landscaping for an international cricket venue on the site of the Hagley Oval in South Hagley Park. We are surrounded by uh, trees almost and give us a real village green atmosphere. Martin Meehan says not only will an upgrade change the nature of the cricket venue, it will also set a precedent for further development of sporting venues in that part of Hagley Park. In the last week, submissions on the proposal closed and Martin Meehan says his group expects to take their fight to the Environment Court. You're dealing with a lot of big players and, and, and you can get swamped and, and I think that's why we're happy to go to the Environment Court because that takes it away from the politicians and, and the old boys network pulling strings behind, which there's been a fair bit of, I, I have to say, and you're into the court and, you know, if you can prove your case in law, then, then you, you will win. And we've got a lot of confidence in, in the Environment Court and we expect to get a fair hearing. The head of the Central Development Unit, Warwick Isaac, says the Hagley Park development is one of the major projects firmly in the hands of the council as the land's owner. The Mayor, Bob Parker, says he spent time with both the campaigners and the cricketing fraternity trying to work out a compromise. I don't actually see that as an issue of powerlessness with the government. That's very much a council issue. Yes, the government's identified it as an anchor project, but it won't go ahead unless we as a community can collectively agree on that. The potential financial burden on future generations of Christchurch residents comes firmly under the heading of to be discussed further. The issue of debt for the city is close to Bob Parker's heart and has an added edge with local government elections being held this year. One of our jobs at Council is to make sure that there isn't a residual burden left that is going to grind the economy of uh, the Council and the community into the ground in the future. That's a very important role that we play. 
He acknowledges that the government needs to safeguard the investment it's making, but Mr Parker says the balance can be difficult. Would I have chosen the same sort of relationship that's been set up if it had come down to me and my council? I doubt that we would have pumped for this particular relationship. I think we would have looked for a much more equal partnership. I would have to say there are, there are many days when we've sat on the sidelines and, and felt powerless at times in our own city. We were elected to do this job. But whatever system we used, it would not have been perfect for somebody. Roger Sutton concedes there's still a great deal to be worked out. It's not yet completely clear, um, and, those, and those things will become clearer as time goes on. So if you take, for example, the convention centre, we don't yet know to what extent we're going to find private investors who are going to want to put up large amounts of the money because they get the opportunity to, say, to build a hotel on site. So until some of those things are locked down, it's very hard for us to know exactly how much the different parties are going to put up. You've got six or seven huge projects and, and the cost of them is not known either. No, it's not. I mean, I think we have, we have ballpark numbers, but they're, they, they're just that, they're ballpark numbers. And we're trying to work out, you know, we've announced some of the scale of some of these projects, but I think some of, that, some of that still needs to be worked through as we go through more detailed business cases. But one aspect is clear, the need for ever-increasing numbers of construction workers. A special Canterbury Employment Hub has been created to help find New Zealanders to fill all the positions that will be created in the next few years. The Regional Labour Market Manager for Work and Income, Joe Aldridge, says the hub pulls together the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, the Earthquake Recovery Authority and tertiary education institutions. At the labouring positions and uh, entry-level positions, we're seeing cancellations with work and income on a weekly basis that, um, that our clients are actually exiting into work through the opportunities that are available. And it's not just rebuild work that seeing them uh, find employment, it's all the flow-on uh, occupations, the service industries, the hospitality, the retail. If it's impossible to find someone for a job in New Zealand, then the hub will help support employers who need to bring in people from overseas. But Joe Aldridge says that would normally be a last resort. There's just a lot less complication that comes from a New Zealander. They know, they know what they're coming to. Um, they have you know, the family supports that are required in the country that they're working. For the rebuild to progress smoothly, Bob Parker acknowledges the need for all parties to cooperate. We've sacrificed a bit of control over the centre of the city and that's part of ensuring that the investment is there and the commitment for government. I mean, it's you know, probably over a billion dollars or more that's going to be put into the rebuild of the centre of Christchurch by the taxpayers of New Zealand, of whom I rushed to point out we are also part of that group. And that's a tremendous opportunity for us. And we, we would be churlish to say, no, 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 we want to do exactly how we want to do it and risk losing that investment. As for the future role of CERA, the Recovery Authority, Roger Sutton, who is almost two years through his five-year contract, says some sections of the authority may have worked for much longer. He thinks this year will be one of real activity. I think 2013 is going to be a year with a lot more action. Um, you know, we're already seeing the whole residential rebuild is really starting getting up to pace. But um, within the CBD, it's also going to be a year where I think we're going to see a lot more progress than we've seen. This is the year where we need to get the detail of those plans more, more carefully worked out and then bring the investment in and start seeing some more action. Warwick Isaacs wants to maintain a sense of urgency to make sure the impetus and encouragement for investors isn't lost. From my point of view, I always like to think, see things faster, go faster than what, what we can achieve. It was the same um, with the initial demolition. So we are very conscious that we have 
a window of opportunity. In our recovery plan, we talk about things being completed by mid-2017. Sort of, 2017. Are we on track for that? Yes, we are. Uh, we haven't resolved from that, but I'm pushing as fast as I can to make them come to fruition even more quickly. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by Jeremy Veal.